It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a weekly podcast by The Local. Today we're going to talk about a few things that are changing this month in Germany and why forecasters are worried about the weather this winter. And with more strikes happening again, we'll let you know what to expect. Germany's annual political roast happened last week, so we're going to get into why the Bavarian state leader has been making waves. And German citizenship reform is in the works, but not everyone is for it. We're going to talk about why some people are so against it. Plus, we'll get into why people in Berlin could see major delays to citizenship applications this year. Lastly, we'll talk about some events happening around Germany this March. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm in Berlin today with our wonderful journalists, Aaron Burnett and Imogen Goodman. Hello. Hello. How are you both? Well, <laughs> we're good. Um, good. So, yeah. we, so we're recording this on Wednesday, March the 1st. Are you both excited for the new month? Oh, I'm so excited. The sky is blue. I'm feeling that little sort of nip of spring in the air. It's it's lovely. I'm just, yeah, I'm hoping to see people who have been hibernating over winter, have them gradually emerge from the darkness into the light, <laughs> maybe go to a beer garden or two when the weather warms up. The cocoon of darkness that is Berlin winter in particular. Exactly. <laughs> and there are a few changes coming up this month in Germany. What's important that we should know about, guys? Well, well, yeah, there are quite a few exciting things going on actually this month, especially if you're, let's say, in the younger age bracket. The first is that the so-called student energy payment is finally on its way. So you'd be forgiven for forgetting this, uh, but the government actually announced a one-off 200 euro energy allowance last September, which was meant to be for students and trainees in Germany. This has actually taken months to launch because the education ministry quickly found out that it actually had no way of gathering students' data, you know, their IBANs, their bank details. Um, so it basically had to create a whole new portal from scratch online. The good news is that it now looks like, like that is nearly done and students can apply online for their payment from March 15th. Good news, finally. Very good news and desperately needed, I think, by a lot of students, given how pricey everything is. Yeah. Um, another really exciting change, uh, again, for young people is that Baden-Württemberg is launching its Jugend ticket today. So this uh, is a transport ticket that costs 365 euros per year, so just one euro a day. And you can use it to travel all across the state on regional and local transport, so kind of a competitor to the 49 euro ticket. As the name implies, it is just restricted to the spring chickens among us, which means anyone under the age of 21. That said, students, trainees and anyone doing voluntary work can get it up to the age of 27. So a little bit more scope there. Really good to know. So especially for those in Baden-Württemberg. Exactly, nice yeah. exactly. Yeah, the rest of us <laughs> will miss out, I'm afraid. 
well, and some of us aren't young enough <laughs> yes, anymore. Yes, we're definitely not young enough. It, yeah. We're going to also see those gas and electricity price caps that the government spent a long time debating mm. last year and even found 200 billion euros for. Wow. Um, I might add, are finally in force. Um, although the caps are backdated to the start of January. Wouldn't so. that, that have been great a year ago? <laughs> well, I mean, they spent a long time discussing this months and months and months, right? And now it's finally um, around. For gas, we now have a cap of 12 cents per kilowatt hour, unless you use district heating, in which case it's nine and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Electricity is capped at 40 cents per kilowatt hour. Remember, though, that this only applies to 80% of consumption. 20% is left to be charged at market rates. And that really is just to encourage you to keep saving on energy. There are still some legal measures in place for that. Um, For example, your office heating is still capped at 19 degrees. That'll stay in place until April 15th. So be happy that warmer weather (laughs) is in the cards. Uh, And prepare for yet more travel disruptions on Deutsche Bahn. Sorry to say, guys. Oh, no. Yeah. I know we like to pick on them a little bit um, on this pod especially, but these are due to much-needed repairs and upgrades. There are three big routes to watch out for, though. Um, Stuttgart to Nuremberg, Rostock to Stralsund in the north, and Koblenz to Cologne. You'll find more info and the full list in our show notes. Let's talk about the weather now, because although we have seen a very cold spell in Germany recently, it's actually been pretty mild overall, and that is not good news. Imogen, can you tell us more? Yes. um, I think we've probably all noticed that we haven't needed our down jackets quite as much this year, and that's just been confirmed with official statistics from the German Weather Service, who are the main meteorological organisation in Germany. Apparently, this winter has been 2.7 degrees warmer than the average winter in Germany. And there's also been far less rain, uh, which may sound like good news, but actually might be quite worrying. You might also remember just how mild it was on New Year's Eve. Um, this is meant to be one of the coldest days of the year, but it went up to 20 degrees in some parts of the country, uh, which to my mind is more like spring weather or even summer if you live in the UK. Yes. <laughs> and what's been the effect of this milder winter, Imogen? Well, one major effect fact, um, has been a pretty short and disappointing ski season for people who love winter sports. So uh, several resorts have had to close in the middle of the season, literally in January, because the temperatures were too warm even for artificial snow. So Braunach, as an example, uh, which is one of the various more affordable kind of ski resorts, um, actually had to close at the start of the year due to lack of snow. But even more surprisingly, Alpine resorts in both Germany and Switzerland also faced um, similar issues. And those are meant to be immune to sort of fluctuations in weather. They're meant to be the ones that are always open throughout the season. There is also worry that water levels could be far too low at the start of the year, um, especially if we have a dry spring. And also due to the fact that there's too little kind of melt water from the snow. So that's a big concern given that Germany has suffered from drought in previous summers. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, and I 
guess another effect, we're just talking about the energy things there, the energy crisis. It's actually been quite good. It has, as with a lot of things, I think, that we saw last year and this year. There are two sides to every story. So one side is kind of worries about the trends in, in the weather. The other side is, oh, thank God that this happened now, because uh, a lot of people are trying to save energy. So actually, it's meant that at the end of this winter, the gas, uh, the, you know, the gas storage facilities are, are much fuller than normal. And it's been far easier than it otherwise would have been to save energy. Mm-hmm. And in general, is this a concern? Does it have anything to do with the climate crisis? Yeah, that's what almost all climate experts and, and weather experts are saying. Obviously, just one warm winter can be a blip. Um, but researchers usually take a longer view of this kind of thing. And this is apparently the 12th winter in a row that has been warmer than average. What's perhaps a little bit scarier is that the trend appears to be accelerating as well. So it's not just that we're con- you know, continually having these like, slightly warmer winters, it's that they're getting more dramatically warm as time goes on. As we talked about recently on this show, we are in the season of strikes. There are several unions calling their members out on days of action across Germany as they try to negotiate significant pay rises to deal with the soaring inflation. Aaron, I'm guessing that the recent round of talks between unions and employers in the public sector was unsuccessful. What's the latest? Well, Friday, the day this episode comes out, spells headaches for public transport riders in the states of North Rhine-Westphalia, Hesse, Baden-Württemberg, Saxony, Lower Saxony, and Rhineland Palatinate. So you're right, those talks did not achieve what we were hoping, um, which would be an end to these kinds of strikes. Mm -hmm. Those are the statewide strikes, the ones that I've mentioned before. There are also some individual cities, most notably Munich, uh, the country's third largest city, which we're also seeing strikes. Um, we've already seen, including earlier this week, ground staff strike at airports around Germany, as well as other transport strikes in North Rhine-Westphalia and Bavaria. Public sector unions are digging in their heels. They want another 500 euros a month or 12 and or 10.5%, sorry, increase in pay to offset rising costs of living. Employers ended up offering a 2,500 euro one-off. The unions rejected that. They said the cost of living increase in the last year would just eat that up really, really, really fast. So we're on to the next round of negotiations later this month. Expect more warning strikes until then. And usually there's about a two or three day or so warning that we get before the strike actually happens. So we'll keep you updated as they roll in. Definitely. And and so we have already seen a lot of local public transport affected in the strikes, as you mentioned, Aaron, as well as other facilities, which we talked about before, kitas and postal workers. But we could see long distance train services hit two, I believe. Can you tell us a bit more, Aaron? Well, Deutsche Bahn and Deutsche Bahn workers are currently in their round of negotiations. Now, there's been nothing said about any strike that we should be expecting, at least at the moment. But workers are asking for a 12% uh, increase in their pay to offset rising cost of living. And uh, that is certainly more than the 10.5% that the uh, Verdi Union, for example, is asking for other public sector workers. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of tension and clashes uh, around that. Okay, so one to watch out for. We don't have any definite dates or if the unions there are going to call a strike, but we just need to be aware of it. Yeah, we'll keep you updated. Great. Thank you very much. 
German politics is known for being quite tame, at least compared to the often very heated House of Commons-style debates in the UK or the shenanigans, to put it mildly, of the likes of Donald Trump in the US. But Germany does get in on the act sometimes. Ash Wednesday is a traditional political roasting in the German politics calendar. And last week it was back in full force after the pandemic. And we thought today we'd focus on Marcus Zoder, the head of the Christian Social Union, the CSU, that's the sister party of the CDU, and the Bavarian state premier, because he seemed to be having a great time laying into the federal coalition government, made up of the Social Democrats, the Greens, and the Free Democrats. Guys, why was Soder's digs in particular making the headlines? Well, as you say, political Ash Wednesday is a tradition all around Germany, but nobody does it quite like the Bavarians. There's trumpet music, dirndls, lederhosen, and a general kind of rowdy beer hall atmosphere, and not to mention the fist-thumping political speeches. Um, So Soder is known for being quite a character. He's always bombastic, he's charismatic, but it's a little bit like he'd been bottling up quite a few things in the run-up to this speech, maybe during sort of seething during the pandemic, and it all came out on Wednesday. <laughs> so he's obviously been thinking quite a lot um, over the last year and a half of the Traffic Light Coalition, and he reserved some pretty strong words for them. He mentioned Olaf Scholz's uh, Zeitenwende speech, you know, his h- historical turning point, his change of times, and he said it was more like a Zeitenlooper, so like a, a time loop where they just go round and round in these endless discussions all the time and then make a decision far too late. He later quipped that they were the worst government of all time. Um, so no no punches being pulled there. He had his claws out for the former defence minister, Christine Lambrecht, uh, said the only good thing about her is that she's gone and described Berlin as the capital of chaos. Uh, which, uh, <laughs> it is sometimes, <laughs> it, I, I have fair. to say, it's, it's a fair point. Um, but he actually reserved most of his ire for the Greens and animal protection groups uh, for supposedly wanting to ban meat. He claimed that some Keters in Munich uh, would no longer serving kids meat or fish. And he said, somebody needs to tell me how to make a child's birthday success with carrots and broccoli. (laughs) He also made fun of the fact that under EU law, uh, now some certain types of insects are classed as edible. He said, well, for years it was save the bees. Now it's eat the beetles. Eat them yourself, Greens. Another thing he criticised the Greens for actually was for being kind of warmongering um, in terms of the war in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. according to him. Um, He actually said Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock was a threat to national security on account of some of the comments she's made about Russia. Wow, he really didn't leave anyone out, it feels like. (laughs) He didn't, no. He was really in his element. I mean, this was an hour and a quarter speech, and and I think it was a bit of a sort of, and another thing, and another thing, (laughs) kind of a a situation, but quite entertaining to watch, definitely. And I have to also say thank you to Imogen there for for, te- for telling us about all of that so animate, animately. Like, that was great. I mean, I don't tell it, I don't quite tell it like Marcus Soda, but I was, I was trying my best. <laughs> yeah, so he was obviously happy to get on the stage again. And what was the reaction to it? He loves the stage. It? He does. 
Well, as you can imagine, people definitely picked up on his most incendiary comments, especially his claims about meat-eating. Um, after his speech, the hashtag Fleischverbot, so ban on meat, was actually trending on Twitter. People were quite enjoying uh, pointing out that they were actually quite able to get sausages and bacon and things in, in their local supermarket in spite of this so-called ban. Mm. Um, actually, I even saw a, a restaurant owner had jumped on the bandwagon a bit and was using it to advertise their schnitzel saying, oh, kind Fleischverbot here, it's fine, we don't have a meat ban, come and enjoy a schnitzel at our restaurant. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them, exactly. I think entrepreneurial spirit there. Good marketing. <laughs> he also um, actually got mocked by the SPD in Bavaria, who accused him of being an egotist and have also branded him selfie surder um, due to his love of selfies. He's known for that. He does. <laughs> yeah, and he also really loves um, getting dressed up. That's something. I've seen him dress up as Shrek. Even. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, uh, that's a famous one. Yeah. yeah. And, and and all the Oktoberfest, he's always wearing the full kind of lederhosen. Well, not always, but... Something. Yeah, his, his outfit during the speech was quite something, I have to say. What was he wearing? I, it was it was traditional Bavarian garb. It was kind of, you know, so not, not quite... It wasn't a Shrek outfit. Mm. It was just very <laughs> traditional, but kind of formal. He looked like um, a sort of... 19th century farmer a little bit which is quite a quite a look quite a look and <laughs> kind of what he's going for <laughs> yeah and, and what else do we know about Soder because as we've been talking about he's a very interesting character right yeah, um, Marcus Zuda is in many ways the exact opposite of what you would expect uh, from a modern German politician. The previous Chancellor Angela Merkel was famous for her calm, unemotional, basically scientifically methodical uh, approach to politics. And everyone who fought the 2021 federal election campaign, including Olaf Scholz, tried to emulate that. One of the political scientists who've spoken to the local Marcel Dursus uh, basically said that everyone was trying to out-Merkel each other during this campaign, um, mm-hmm. even posing with the, the Merkel rhombus and the, and the hands. Marcus Zuda is not that guy. <laughs> and he has never pretended to be either. Um, he's a rabble rouser. He speaks with passion. He pokes fun. He tells jokes, as Imogen has just been outlining to us. He certainly wanted to run for chancellor in 2021 for the Conservative Union, but he's a staunch advocate for what he sees as Bavarian interests. Um, he really lays into his Bavarian heritage and, and identity. Also, he's from Nuremberg as opposed to Munich, and he also makes sure to let people know that as well. Uh, he is a soft populist in that he has a knack for licking his finger, sticking it in the air, you know, to figure out which way the wind of public opinion is blowing. Uh, and this is something that he knows how to do. This also means, though, that it can be hard to tell what precise uh, core beliefs he has. He has led the center-right at- attacks on the far-right Afde and recently pointed out that Bavaria uh, is hosting more Ukrainian refugees than France. He was one of the tougher state leaders on coronavirus at the beginning of the pandemic, before being one of the first to bin mask and isolation rules. Before the invasion of Ukraine, he opposed further sanctions on Russia. Now he says... We're firmly on Ukraine's side and we want them to win. And these are really just two examples of, you know, this apparent Mm. flip-flopping that he can sometimes do. Mm -hmm. And is he popular in Bavaria? Uh, Well, that's an important question this year. Bavaria is, of course, headed to the polls in state elections on the 8th of October, the same day as Hesse. Right now, Marcus Zura is the state's most popular politician, Uh, even after being in office for five years now. uh, 56% of Bavarians say they're satisfied with his work. 
Now, when he took over in 2018, he lost the CSU's absolute majority in that state, which they often typically hold. A big question will be whether he can get it back. But he also has nationwide appeal. Um, before federal elections, the Bavarian CSU and the CDU uh, in the rest of Germany, they choose a common candidate for chancellor. And the union has gone with a Bavarian candidate in 1982 and in 2002. So the Bavarians might think that they're due here, you know, every 20 years, for example, as the rhythm seems to go. Now, just before the 2021 election that Olaf Schultz won, Zoda was the second most popular politician in the country. That was just behind Angela Merkel. And he was coming in ahead of Olaf Schultz. And he pushed for the CDU to choose him to run for chancellor based on those numbers, and the CDU didn't go for him. But it's interesting to wonder what might have happened if they had. Absolutely. And any possibility of him being becoming a German chancellor in future? What do you think, guys? Well, I think as Aaron mentioned, there really was a time when Söder seemed like Merkel's natural successor. Um, Merkel even visited him in Bavaria back in 2020 when there was kind of a question of who was going to take over and be the next chancellor candidate, him or Armin Laschet. As we know, Söder didn't actually win that race and things have changed quite a lot since then. So back in 2021, ahead of the last election, there was this big power vacuum with, with Merkel stepping down after 16 years. But more recently, they've got a new leader in Friedrich Merz, who would be the obvious chancellor candidate at the next election. So it does seem quite happy where he is. But there are some hints that he could reemerge on the national stage. Um, Friedrich Merz actually said at the end of last year that they could potentially kind of stand on a joint chancellor ticket um, at the next election. So as not to split the party, kind of have this collaboration thing rather than a kind of rivalry. But we'll see what happens when everything heats up uh, ahead of the next election in 2025. I mean, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, he does like to change his mind based on how the wind is blowing. (laughs) Um, So... Again, you know, 2025, that's still a couple of years away. Let's see (laughs) where Mm. we are then. It is really interesting with the the CSU being the Bavarian sister party of the CDU. So there's always that kind of interesting relationship between them both and how it works, because obviously he could never be the leader of the CDU because he's with the CSU, but could still be chancellor because they're a block together. Absolutely. It's another quirk of German politics. Isn't it just? Especially conservative politics. (laughs) Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. (laughs) 
Should we move on to German citizenship news now? Our, it's our favorite topic. It is. So, Here at the local. <laughs> it really is. So we have some more insight into why the conservative CDU-CSU is opposed to the reform that will see the naturalization laws relaxed in Germany. So Aaron, you spoke with the CDU. Can you tell us what you found out? Well, the CDU's main parliamentary speaker on citizenship and immigration, Stefan Heck, told us the conservatives oppose all the big aspects of the draft law reforming citizenship in Germany. We did ask them if they support any particular parts of this reform, and they kept quiet on that, so our best guess is no. Um, they want the wait for citizenship to stay at eight years for normal track and six years for fast track, rather than get lowered, as is planned to five years for the regular and three for the fast track. The Conservatives say in a well-used line since last year, that citizenship should be given at the end of the integration process and not the beginning. Uh, this is how they put it. Well, that's actually something that, that came up in uh, Söder's Ash Wednesday speech. Um, there was a little bit of a side on, on German immigration law and citizenship. So he said that if um, Interior Minister Nancy Faeser rushes the reform, um, she'll go the same way as former Defence Minister Christine Lambrecht, who we know was forced to resign earlier this year. There was also a little bit of a dig um, at... Uh, this kind of so-called lack of integration requirement that, that the CDU and CSU were accusing the government of. Uh, so he said he had nothing against people becoming German or naturalized Germans. He just expected them to speak a little bit of German first. Yeah, well, and he is referring um, specifically to people who are 67 or older who will not have to take language tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the plans. Under the new, under the plan uh, reforms. And this really is uh, targeted for the guest worker generation from Turkey to sort Mm -hmm. of validate their life here. Yeah, that's so true. Um, Very provocative. So does the CDU think dual citizenship should be allowed at all? Uh, The CDU says dual citizenship should be the exception rather than the rule and that it should be justified only in special legal circumstances. Beyond that, they think people should choose to give up their previous passport because of the danger of what they call loyalty conflicts, uh, especially during international crises that may leave one's loyalties divided between Germany and the country that they come from if that country is on an opposite side. And what is the government saying to all this then? Well, MPs with all three government parties, the Social Democrats, the Greens and the Free Democrats, spoke to us with some strong words for the CDU's take on this. Felice Polat, the rapporteur for the Greens on this law, said this reform is overdue and its critics should, and I quote, finally come to terms with the reality of this country. <laughs> the fact that it is an Einwanderungsland or a country of immigration. The FDP says it's natural for the first couple of generations to still maintain family or property ties to the country they come from and that the law should reflect this. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also point out that countries like France, Sweden, Canada and the US all have faster naturalization than here in Germany after five years in many cases. Uh, And the SPD says those lower naturalization hurdles in those countries make them more attractive to the skilled workers that Germany uh, needs and that the CDU's opposition to this reform, and I quote again, jeopardizes our social prosperity. 
So, so strong words. Really strong words. And the, the government politicians, they're really basically saying the conservatives do not understand the reality of life in Germany today. Yeah. A l- many immigrants here. Yeah, yeah. Do we know anything about the, the public's views? Well, the German public is quite split on this, uh, with slightly more uh, in favor of it, 49%. But that's not decisive. 45% uh, are still opposed, according to one recent poll that we have. But I think it's important to note that dual citizenship is already a reality in this country. Uh, my mm-hmm. mom and I are dual citizen, German-Canadian citizens by virtue of inheriting German citizenship by descent. EU citizens can already have dual citizenship here, which is one of the big reasons Brits rushed to apply for German citizenship before Brexit. Uh, Some countries, notably Iran, one of those that conservatives might say uh, might provoke a loyalty conflict, for example, uh, Iran doesn't allow you to give up your citizenship even if you want to. And in 2021, uh, two-thirds of people who applied for German citizenship did so while retaining their previous passport. Some of them will have spent money on lawyers to argue why it was important to their livelihoods to retain their other citizenship. Heidi Klum is a famous German-American dual citizen, an example of somebody who works in both countries. But legal advice costs money. That leaves dual citizenship right now a privilege of those with means in many cases, even though it happens a lot anyway. Bottom line, whether critics like it or not, it's already happening. Thank you for saying that, Aaron. Honestly, I think that really has to be said. Yeah, it's much more common than than I think most people realize when you really look at the numbers of, of how many people actually do keep their previous passport anyway. Yeah. I think there's also um, a carve-out for for refugees as well. And and who were the people kind of becoming German in in the most recent years? A lot of people who came from Syria are taking that opportunity now uh, to really, you know, they formed their lives here. They started over. And so, as Aaron said, you know, there are so many, so many loopholes, so many carve-outs that, you know, this ban on dual nationality actually starts to become a little bit meaningless. Yeah. I mean, just let it it happen. (laughs) It just creates extra administrative backlog. Logs, as we've been talking oh, about, gosh, you know, yes. people have to process the the paperwork of why you know you should be allowed to keep your other nationality, mm-hmm. which adds time to your application. It really does, and costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? Thanks a lot for those updates, guys. And we have asked politicians from the government and the CDU to talk to us on the podcast. We spoke to Hakan Demir from the Social Democrats just before Christmas. So you can go back and listen to that. He had some really interesting things to say. So far, nobody else from the Bundestag or Parliament has agreed to talk to us, but we'll keep working on it. Now we'll move on to citizenship update number two. And this concerns people in Berlin. So Berlin has a population of about 3.86 million people and just over 24% are foreigners. So that means that many could potentially be applying to become German. But we have some mixed news for those who are trying to do it at the moment. That's because the city is aiming to open a new centralised processing office for German citizenship, potentially good. But that means applications this year are likely to be delayed. Imogen, what do we know about this? Well, this is really a worry uh, for people who were hoping to apply for citizenship in Berlin once the rules eased up. We've known for a while that Berlin was planning to completely restructure its process for handling citizenship applications. Um, At the moment, that's done in the boroughs. But as you say, they're aiming to open up this central office in 2024 so they can do everything that little bit faster. Unfortunately, this does look 
look pretty certain to have an impact on applications that are submitted this year. According to a draft concept paper that was leaked the other day, uh, the Berlin Senate is basically proposing that local authorities just focus on clearing the backlog of citizenship applications that were submitted before New Year so that they're not kind of carried over to the new administrator. What that means is basically that applications submitted on or after January 1st, 2023, are just likely to be put on the back burner and potentially won't even get processed until the new administrative centre opens up. We're also hearing that there's going to be a huge um, reduction in the amount of uh, consultations or initial consultations being offered. So if you've already got an appointment lined up for this initial telephone uh, conversation, we believe that you'll still be able to go to that and get the ball rolling, even if your application doesn't get processed straight away. Uh, But sadly, some people may find that they're getting turned away um, if they try and book their consultation now or in the near future. Okay, and how many people typically get citizenship in Berlin? And do we know how that compares to other states, Imogen? Yeah, so currently Berlin's able to process around 8,000 applications a year, but there's currently a pretty significant backlog of around 21,000 applications still waiting to be processed. There are states that actually do much, much better, though. So in Bavaria, for instance, um, around 23,000 applications are processed per year. Um, And in North Rhine-Westphalia, so the most populous state with a big foreigner population, um, it's around 30,000 per year. On the complete other end, of the spectrum, the tiny state of Saarland in Western Germany handed out just 835 uh, German passports last year. And in Eastern states like Brandenburg and Thuringia, um, it's also well under a thousand. So centralizing the system in Berlin could be a good thing because we have the plan changes to reform coming up. What's the reaction to it? Well, the local districts are responsible uh, for this at the moment, you know, and those are getting centralized, uh, as Imogen was talking about. That has some district councillors not very happy about that. Um, They do say that the delays uh, for anyone applying after January 1st of this year are simply uh, unacceptable. But they also oppose the idea of centralizing at all. It means that they lose a certain competence that they have. They say that it's unconstitutional. They say that the city government, the central city government, should give them more resources to be able to digitize this process us to make it a little bit easier. Of course, these are, I, I would point out, the same local district offices that are very famous for their digitization <laughs> of processes. So, Well, that's actually uh, quite a big promise about this new central office. Um, they're saying that they're going to boost the amount of um, applications processed from 8,000 to 20,000 per year, which would make a huge difference. And they say they're going to do this by um, getting hundreds of more staff in and giving uh, staff more digital tools. Again, we'll see how that goes. It's always sort of the running joke in in Germany that digitalization is always a project that never quite comes to uh, fruition. Yeah, I think I think most of us <laughs> German digitalization cynics, including those of us in this booth, will will believe it when it happens. Uh-huh. Yeah, watch the space. <laughs> Let's round things off today by talking about some events happening around Germany this month. Aaron, what's your pick? Well, folk fans in Germany, March is your month. Yay! Yeah, um, (laughs) starting March 18th and going on to April 4th, we have the Spring Folk Festival in Würzburg. Uh, in Bavaria. Live music, line dancing, rides for the kids, all are featured there. Line dancing? Line dancing, yeah. 
Do, do, do you guys ever learn how to line dance? We did. <laughs> no, but you can teach us. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not for this folk festival, but maybe. <laughs> or maybe we will anyway. We'll see. And Northerners, you're not left out here. In Hamburg, we have the Fuhlingsdom, the largest folk festival in northern Germany. It starts up March 24th and goes to April 23rd. Now, get this. This one dates back 700 years. Wow. Traditional. Yeah. It's a, it's a real... Honest-to-God Folk Festival, <laughs> 700 years of history there. And uh, there's 230 different attractions or so at that one. They've obviously had a lot of time to build up their, build up their offerings and keep them going. Um, and they, though, that includes a fireworks display uh, every Friday night at 10.30 p.m. while the festival is on. Wow. Very nice. Imogen, what's another cool event that you like the look of? Well, one thing I'm really looking forward to this month is Radar Aus Theatre Festival in Berlin. Yeah. Um, this awesome festival has been happening since 2018. I mean, it always focuses on political and artistic movements um, happening in Eastern Europe. Um, this year, as you might imagine, the war in Ukraine is going to be a major focus. Um, so they'll be showcasing new performances and exhibitions from artists from Ukraine, Slovenia, Belarus and Georgia, um, and also asking some difficult questions about what it means to create theatre in a time of war. It sounds like it will be really moving, interesting, eye-opening. Opening, and so I would definitely recommend checking it out if you are going to be in Berlin uh, during that time. Okay, sounds really good. And I'm going to talk about Munich. It is hosting its annual Stark Beer Fest or Strong Beer Festival Ooh. from March the 10th to April 2nd. And it means that the beer halls in the city will have stronger varieties of beer on offer. So no Kulsch there. No. Or any or any beer like it. <laughs> only, Sorry, Coloners. Only the strong stuff. Yeah, only the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, guys, this has been celebrated since the 15th century and goes back to a time when monks brewed strong, nourishing beers to help them get through the weeks of fasting during Lent. This is the secret to happy monks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, strong beer on an empty stomach. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, it sounds like a great... <laughs> time <laughs> and the the great thing is I'm I actually do something at that monastery <laughs> exactly I'm going to Munich at that time oh amazing yeah, so really? I will I will check it out and I will report back I'll probably <laughs> only manage half of just a, a small beer but can you bring us back some samples I'll try yeah <laughs> bring us back a few bottles We'll have them in the booth next time, listeners, yeah. to see what happens. Yeah, just on a Wednesday lunchtime, just have a few <laughs> strong beers. But we have to fast first. <laughs> That's yes. the rules yeah. for peak concentration. <laughs> Great. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And we are taking a short break next week, but we will be back the following week. So thank you to all our listeners. And as always, we'll add the links in the show for the stories we've been talking about. And thank you so much to this week's panelists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We're on Twitter. Our username is Germany and Focus. And please leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you liked what you heard. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.